This podcast contains mature and intense subject matter that may be triggering for some. Discretion is strongly advised. Is it possible for a woman to give birth after death? Take a moment and consider if you really want to know the answer. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we cover topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. Lacey Peterson's body was found on April 13th, 2003, three months after she was first reported missing on December 24th, 2002. That year, Lacey's murder was in all of the tabloids. Her husband, Scott Peterson, was on trial for her murder and the murder of their unborn child, a boy who they were planning on naming Connor. This trial was impossible to escape in the media, Jess. You remember it, right? I actually don't. Oh, I remember also women thinking that Scott Peterson was attractive and a whole cult building up around women who thought that he was... Well, you're older than me. It was really so twisted. Much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember the early 2000s, <laughs> unlike you, who was, what, 14? <laughs> I was, yeah. I Yes. 13, 14? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember the OJ, like, freeway chase. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. I remember watching it on TV as it was happening and uh, knowing that the actor that I thought was funny in Naked Gun movies <laughs> was doing that. <laughs> A couple walking their dog had found Lacey's body in a marshy area of the San Francisco Bay just north of Berkeley. They said that her body was so badly decayed that it barely resembled a human. Her head, arms, and most of her legs were missing. Lacey had two cracked ribs and her torso had been empty of all of her organs except for her uterus. There was a suspicious string of circumstantial evidence led to Scott as the main suspect in Lacey's death. Scott's defense team was using every tool in their kit to prove his innocence. But one undeniable nail in Scott Peterson's proverbial coffin was the expert testimony of Dr. Peterson, which there is no relation between Scott and Dr. Peterson. It was Dr. Peterson, no relation, who informed the jury of Lacey's posthumous birth. Yes, Lacey had given birth after she died. The body of the infant was not as decayed as Lacey's. The uterus had protected the fetus. However, the placenta and umbilical cord were not found with the infant's body. Dr. Peterson determined that the infant died in utero and had been expelled from Lacey's decaying body. When Dr. Peterson was cross-examined by the defense, he was not able to say whether the baby had been born alive, but medical experts for the prosecution determined the baby died at the same time as its mother. The exact date of Lacey Peterson's death remains undetermined, but the facts remain the same. Lacey Peterson gave birth after she died. The occurrence of postmortem fetal excursions or coffin births are so rare in modern society that some people doubt its possibility entirely. Plus, it's not really something referenced often by medical experts. It really wasn't until we got in the weeds of doing this podcast and being so conscious of looking for morbid things as I was trolling the internet, even more so than I usually do, that I really learned that this was a thing. This is something that I have never thought about. And now that we are talking about it, I've told Elise and our editor, Kelly, before this, that this is one of the most morbid episodes for me personally. I, I would agree. 
Definitely. Probably the jokes will be at a minimum, mm-hmm. if if not nil, mm-hmm. this episode, because mm-hmm. it's it's very hard to do that. And uh, were you familiar with this before covering this? No, it's not something that crossed my mind, because, again, like if somebody died, what you, I do know is like, yes, the, the like the mother dying, but the baby living or weird stuff like that, but not not this. No. Yeah. Or not the idea that like a person after death could like push out a baby. Yes. that Yes. Uh, while there are many insane thoughts that do cross my mind on a daily basis, this was not <laughs> one of them. <laughs> so. <laughs> yes. And a lot of the time on the show, we'll talk about something, especially a term that might be from the Victorian era, that it sounds like it means one thing. And then we talk about it and it's like, oh, no, it's actually much less harmless. But no, coffin births are pretty much what they sound like. Birth that occurs in coffins after the dead mother is buried. But, of course, it's not restricted to coffins. It can happen anywhere. Yeah, just birth after death Yeah, in general. But in a more academic sense, postmortem fetal extrusion is the expulsion of a non-viable fetus from a deceased pregnant person during putrefaction. And so we have to ask the question of physiologically how a dead body is actually able to give birth. Like, how does this happen? Can a person do that after they die? Yeah, yes and no, since postmortem fetal excursion occurs through the vaginal opening, a coffin birth mimics the process of birth. A dead body is not able to contract the uterus in order to push the baby out since it's dead. Yeah, and when a dead body is in decay, the flesh becomes extremely elastic and balloons into a swelled and distorted biome, and when you die, your body is never more alive. Yeah, the body starts going haywire, mm-hmm. right, in, in that moment of death. After a person has died, the decomposition process begins four minutes after death. So let's go over what happens to the body when it begins to decompose. What follows is four stages, autolysis, bloat, active decay, and skeletonization. Stage one, autolysis or self-digestion, yes, literally digesting your own body, begins immediately after death. As soon as the person stops breathing and blood stops circulating, the body has no way to get oxygen or remove any waste. The body then builds up an excess of carbon dioxide, so membranes in the cells rupture due to the acidity of all this carbon dioxide that it can't uh, expel. The ruptured enzymes begin to eat the cells of the body from inside out. That is the self-digestion part. And then our old pal rigor mortis sets in, (laughs) (laughs) causing the muscles to stiffen and small blisters filled with nutrient-rich fluids begin to appear on the internal organs and stuff. All you sickos listening, you all know this. You've you've heard this a hundred times. Yes. (laughs) Who are we even talking to here, Jess? Good old rigor mortis. We know this audience. The body will appear to be covered in a sheen, which is actually ruptured blisters on the skin's surface. This uh, causes the skin's top layer to begin to loosen. And then stage two. I can't believe we're only at stage two. I feel like every so much has just happened yes. already. Uh, yes. But stage two is bloat. And if, if bloat is a symptom of death, then I must be dying every single day, Jess. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same. Yesterday I ate so much fiber and I am paying for it today. Oh, no. But you'll be rewarded from it tomorrow. I hope. God, I hope so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, in stage two, the bloat stage, the leaked enzymes from stage one begin to produce gases in the body. And these gases cause the body to double in size, hence the bloat. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And the sulfur-containing compounds released by bacteria cause the skin to discolor. And this is also the stage where insects move in. Which I love insects. I'm I'm totally cool with like I die, my body's decomposing. You know, mm-hmm. let the little the little let the bugs little guys and eat yeah. roly polies as you call them. Just <laughs> yes. let them; they can take me. Uh, the microorganisms and bacteria release causes this putrefaction when the body starts to start to smell. Stage three is active decay. The fluids are released through orifices, indicating the beginning of decomposition. So when the soft tissues decompose, the hair, bones, and cartilage remain on the body. The body then loses the most mass at stage three. My husband would hate this. If you know him, he's all about accumulating mass. <laughs> stage four is skeletonization, which I love that word. Uh, and it is what it sounds like. The dead body becomes a skeleton. There is no set time frame for when skeletonization happens. So let's break down the decomposition timeline. 24 to 72 hours after death, the internal organs start to decompose. Then three to five days after the body starts to bloat and blood containing a foam-like substance starts to leak from the nose and mouth. So, so gross. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Eight to 10 days after death, the body turns from green to red as the blood decomposes and the organs in the abdomen accumulate gas. Several weeks after death, the nails and teeth start to fall out. And one month after death, the body starts to liquefy. That's just how it goes. It's just, this is part of the process. Love learning about it. Uh, the phenomenon of postmortem fetal extrusion occurs between 48 and 72 hours after death, just as the body begins entering stage two bloating gases. Yeah, that's, and that's wild too, because it's like, it's two days after mm-hmm. someone has died yes, and a baby has been in them. Still. So fast. Yeah. A lack of oxygen to the organs and the multiplication of anaerobic bacteria leads to the buildup of gases in the body, carbon dioxide, methane. The gases are what causes the body to swell up. The high amount of gas buildup in the decaying body pushes on the uterus, forcing the dead fetus through the vagina. Yes, and occasionally this causes a uterine prolapse when one or more organs slip down from their normal position and bulge into the vagina uh, through the decomposition of the the death and the the dead, the fetus expulsion simulates a birth. Medical experts say it is so rare that the topic is almost never discussed in the medical community. So you can imagine how alarmed people were when a sealed coffin had not one, but two sets of human bones. Yeah, especially when you maybe don't, I mean, can make the connection at first that it was a baby and you're like, how'd this little tiny man get in here? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) or, God, I wouldn't even know what to think. Did he fall in? Yeah, something like that, but... Yeah, and so, yeah, it it did happen. Uh, One such case is of M. Topolais, a report from a parish register in the 17th century notes, April ye 20, 1650, was buried M., the wife of Thomas Topless, who was found delivered of a child after she had lain two hours in the grave. M. had been placed in a grave quickly after she died, and her husband was away, and when he went to visit her grave, he allegedly heard a child's cry and ordered her exhumed. Oh, no. Mm. No, my God. Can you imagine? No, I can't. That <sighs> is That's the problem. Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. My first thought wouldn't go to her being alive or I, I, would, I would immediately think like ghosts or something. I don't even, I don't know. Yeah. Just, I, I don't horror. Know. <laughs> yeah. Real life horror. When her coffin was open, they discovered M had given birth to a baby boy and the baby actually lived. He was given the name Fidelaterre, which means son of the earth. 
It's not common in these cases for the child to live, but there are reports that it has happened. Another report of a woman from June 6, 1630, notes that a woman dying of epilepsy issued a child two days after dying, which lines up with the stage one and two decomposition process. One of the earliest known documented cases of coffin bursts was recorded in 1551. At this time, the Spanish Inquisition was in a full swing. The Spanish Inquisition was a judicial institution established by the Catholic monarchs to combat heresy in Spain between 1478 and 1834. A pregnant victim of the Spanish Inquisition was reported to have been led to the gallows and hanged for her crimes of heresy, a belief or opinion contrary to orthodox religious doctrine. She was reported to have been left in the square, swinging in the wind. Jesus. Uh, Hours after her execution, not one but two children fell from her womb. So, yeah, again, giving credence to the fact that not not all coffin births take place in coffins. Yeah, one of the reasons for rarity coffin births is the chemicals used in modern society. So we're talking like embalming fluids, the Mm -hmm. ways that we preserve the body now, which have been in use since about the late 19th century when German chemist August Wilhelm von Hoffmann discovered formaldehyde. And we've talked about this in the Victorian-centric episodes of our podcast where like you know, the, how funeral culture has changed since embalming has happened and the way that we preserve and how long we keep bodies above ground before burying them. Because something I think we're seeing trending here, Jess, is probably, aside from a lack of modern medical knowledge, probably a lot of these people were buried fairly quickly after they died because of disease mm-hmm. Um you know, which, which we know was a, a thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And embalming really kicked off in popularity in the U.S. during the Civil War. It was a proper and convenient way to send a dead soldier back to their families. It was expensive, though, and not available to everyone. And uh, we've done some episodes where we've talked about people being, you know, put on trains on ice sent across the country to try to keep them cold enough so they can get their bodies are preserved as they travel. Um, Even as embalming became a more widely used method of preservation, bioarchaeologists often unearthed evidence of coffin births in slave cemeteries and cemeteries that were predominantly poor. Yeah, archaeologists uh, identify coffin births by the particular way the bones are placed in the coffin. And it wasn't uncommon for a mother and a child to die in childbirth, uh, then be buried together. But what's different in this case is the infant would usually be placed next to the mother or on top of the mother, usually pretty much always with their heads in the same direction. Yeah, a coffin birth is specifically recognized because of the placement of the infant's bones. The body will be found between the pelvic region with its head facing the opposite direction of the mother. Yeah, which makes sense why they would look very different. Mm -hmm. And usually the skeleton would belong to a neonate fetus, a.k.a. a newborn, between 33 to 35 weeks of gestation. Gestation being how long it takes to cook a baby in the womb, so to speak. Yeah, and like we mentioned, not all stories of coffin births happen in coffins, and not all of them are that historical. Yeah, and uh, we are going to talk about some more of those occurrences after a word from our sponsors. Jess, wedding season is upon us, and you know what that means. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) A lot of dressing up and wearing very slinky dresses. (laughs) 
slinky dresses. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It also means so much shapewear. Uh You know, but it's cool because I have a new go-to for shapewear, and that is Honey Love. Yeah, and it's not your mama's shapewear or your grandma's shapewear, okay? (laughs) Because Honey Love makes cool stuff. Um, They make shapewear like their super power short with targeted compression technology that gives you support where you want it and gives you freedom where you don't. Absolutely. So no more feeling like you're suffocating while you're wearing shapewear that actually works. Yes. Plus the super power short has this flexible boning in the sides, so you won't have to worry about it rolling down either, which can be an issue, you know, with a lot of shapewear. Oh, that's the, the biggest issue, I think, is that it just rolls down and you have to come, but you're over there in the corner of the wedding pulling up your shapewear. Yeah. <laughs> your, I was like, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, not if you're wearing honey love. I know. And it'll give you like a little secret booty lift to give, you know, some extra shape to your derriere. Swiggity swooty. You love to hear it, Jess. <laughs> I actually wore um, honey love to a wedding last year and I wore, it was kind of like a silk dress and silk does not do the body no, any favors. it is not generous. No matter what your body looks like, it's just not, like you said, generous. So yeah, I wore some shapewear and I got a million compliments on my dress. Damn. I felt very confident. And you, like Jess, can rock the honey love. So treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and get 20% off at honeylove.com with the code 30MM. That's 20% off when you use code 30MM at honeylove.com. Elise, do you like cashews, gummy bears, olives? Jess, I love all three of those things so much, especially olives. Do you like popcorn, saltwater taffy, or trail mix? I love all of that. I like food in general and snacks. Same, same. <laughs> Just any snacks, sesame seeds, dried fruit, chocolate covered espresso beans. Mm, if your ears perked up at a few of those things, do you know that you can get them all from one place? Nuts.com has it all. We're talking online nuts, Jess, which I means know. different things in different <laughs> contexts. But it in does. the case of this ad, I am so excited to talk about this. Me too, because I love everything that they sent me. And like, whether you're somebody, you you know, on the go who needs a quick snack to grab on the way out or somebody who like spends a lot of time at home and just is, needs a stocked snack drawer, nuts.com yes. has got you covered. You just need that pick me up. That's not going to make you feel terrible from what you're putting in your body. Right. 100%. And nuts.com is your one-stop shop for freshly roasted nuts, dried fruit, sweets, pantry staples, like specialty flowers. And even more than that, their wide selection means there is something for everyone and genuinely there. And I'm comparing notes with other people I know that have gotten stuff from nuts.com and we are all buying different stuff. Which is great. Cause I actually, uh, got the assorted box. So I got a little bit of everything cause I couldn't choose because I'm like, mm-hmm. again, I love all snacks. I love all food. So yeah. And my favorite was, yeah, the dried fruit, but also the ones with the raisins, the almonds, like the raisins are oh, huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other day I was actually, um, late for a hike that I was going on with a friend and I was like, I haven't eaten anything. And I stuffed the biggest handful. <laughs> of of that trail mix in my mouth. And I was like, I'm ready. (laughs) I also like the trail mix and I'm a fan of mango as a flavor, but I feel like it's hard to have fresh mango at home. So I got their dried mango and it is like the perfect little like, "Mm, mm, mm, just get a taste, have a little snack and it keeps you regular too. Let's not ignore that. 
that's not that's not ignore that. Mm-hmm. But right now, Nuts.com is offering new customers a free gift with purchase and free shipping on orders of $29 or more at Nuts.com slash 30mm. So go check out all of the delicious options at Nuts.com slash 30mm. You will also receive a free gift and free shipping when you spend $29 or more. That's Nuts.com slash 30mm. Summer just got even better thanks to Bombas. Ooh boy, Bombas designed their clothes with ultimate comfort in mind from breezy, tagless tees to unbelievably soft underwear and socks that feel like a dream. They're really multi-purpose too. Yes, Jess, I wear mine for active stuff, of course, like being on a trail or biking, but I also have really, really nice kind of dress socks for them that I'll wear with boots and with kind of more dressy shoes. Oh, I need to check that out because winter's coming and I always struggle finding the perfect sock for like winter boot stuff. So I'll be checking those out. But right now, yeah, they have some really like for summer, they have some really great no-show socks that I've been rocking. I got some of those too. They're made with breathable yarns and a contoured design to give you a barely there feel. And the best part, they don't slip around or bunch up in a weird way like a lot of no-show socks do. No, and something I really appreciate is a lot of the Bomba socks come in different sizes. And I have quite tiny feet. And with socks like that, I usually have issues where they like bunch up in my shoes. And these are perfect for me. No, I will say that's very true because I don't know, like we all have little ticks and things that bother us. When they Mm -hmm. bunch up in my shoe... It messes me up throughout the it's whole day. skin crawling. It really I is. I don't know why. It really is. I have to like stop, figure out my shoe, but these do not. And it's a lifesaver, honestly. Yeah. And um, thankfully, Bombas also has a 100% happiness guarantee that covers you for life. And they're there to help whenever you need returns, exchanges, or replacements. Love it. So go to bombas.com slash 30mm and use code 30mm for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash 30MM and use code 30MM at checkout. Bombas dot com slash 30MM code 30MM. Back to the show. Before the break, Jess mentioned that not all stories of coffin births happen in coffins. And uh, it's true. It really makes you think, right, Jess? Yeah, no, it's true. And for example, you know, we told you this, the the tragic story of Lacey Peterson's postmortem excrusion. The difference between other stories from history and Lacey's story are twofold. Yeah. So hers was technically a coffin birth in the way that this, you know, posthumous birth would be called. But she was not in a coffin when the fetus was expelled. The other interesting fact is that her fetus was completely out of her body. Most coffin births only exit the mother's uh, body partway, usually only to the fetus's shoulders. Another important thing to note about the circumstances of Lacey Peterson is that some medical experts do not agree that this was a case of coffin birth. Yeah, instead, some speculate that due to the state of the fetus and her uterus, her abdomen ruptured and expelled the baby, not through a vaginal opening, but a tear in her stomach caused from bloat. So perhaps explaining why she was emptied of her organs and why the baby was less decomposed. Then there's the case of a Panamanian woman in 2008. Uh, This woman was pregnant and her body was found decomposing in a field days after she went missing and clearly had given birth postmortem. Yeah, a plastic bag had been left over her head and she had been gagged, her death was ultimately ruled a homicide. 
She decayed quickly due to the tropical heat and high humidity of the area and, of course, was bloated and highly discolored. This caused the gases to build up in the corpse at a rapid rate. Yeah, and when investigators came to remove the body, they found the decaying fetus inside the woman's underwear. This was the first forensic case in which it could be concluded that a coffin birth had occurred based on the position of the bodies. The fetus was in a similar state of decomposition. The umbilical cord was intact and still attached to the placenta inside of the uterus. Similarly, in 2013, a pregnant Eritrean migrant drowned on her way to Italy when the ship she was on capsized. When a diver recovered the corpse, the baby was found in the mother's leggings. Oh my God. But like we mentioned earlier, not all babies born post-mortem are dead. There is one sad recent case of a coffin birth that did not result in death of the fetus. Mm -hmm. In India in 2007, a 23-year-old pregnant woman committed suicide after her contractions began. Tragically, there isn't much more out there about her background. When she killed herself, her body completed the birth of the infant naturally. The baby was actually found alive, and it was still attached to the dead mother's body. Like M. Topless in 1650, this is a rare phenomenon where life and death have a truly tragic connection. Like, yeah, I can't think of anything more prolifically horrific and tragic than someone as they're dying creating life, essentially. Absolutely. I mean, it's just what and who we are as human beings, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just to our core. Yeah. But one of the more certain and reported cases was in the death of a 34-year-old German woman in 2005. There's a medical journal that describes her post-mortem extrusion in pretty gory detail. There's also a photo. Yeah, the image is graphic to say the least. Don't go searching for coffin births online if your stomach cannot handle it. Yeah, don't go chasing waterfalls. Don't go searching for coffin births. Do that's not. what we say on this show. That's, we have said it since day one. <laughs> day one, every episode. Mm-hmm. In 2005, uh, this woman was suffering from a heroin addiction. She'd been struggling for years in and out of treatment centers. Doctors that worked with her knew she was pregnant, but that she had also recently started to use again. She was far along in her pregnancy when she died about eight months in, and she was found on the floor in front of her couch 14 days after her death in her Hamburg apartment from an overdose. Her skin had this greenish discoloration and almost the entire body surface showed pronounced marbling. Upon autopsy, medical professionals determined she was in an advanced state of decomposition. But the investigators noticed a large bulge between the woman's legs near her groin. The head and shoulders of the fetus were protruding from the woman's vagina. Mm -hmm. Her uterine area was raised and bloated like a balloon. Toxicological analyses revealed heroin intoxication of the mother and the baby. Super sad. Yeah. The neonate fetus showed no signs of having been born alive, meaning the baby died when the mother did. In German, the phenomenon is called Sargebert, which is coffin birth. The medical journal describes her death and states that in each suspected postmortem fetal extrusion, the possibility of live birth had been excluded. Mainly, experts doubt a fully developed baby can really be born alive. When is it established beyond a reasonable doubt that you are dealing with a case of postmortem fetal excrusion? The main question is, was the fetus mature or immature? Studies say that immature fetuses are more easily pushed out by the increasing pressures of the gas. And when we say immature fetuses, we we don't mean like, oh, that fetus is so immature. They're, you know. Yeah. (laughs) 
making poop jokes. They're not making poop jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just that they haven't been gestated to a point where they are like fully mm-hmm. formed and matured as a as a person. Yeah. A mature fetus requires the cervix to dilate, especially uh since the mother needs to be in the first stage of labor for the baby to be born alive. Which makes sense in in the case of the Indian woman from 2007. And if M. Thomas's baby was born alive in a coffin, then perhaps she was in labor when she died. Maybe. Yeah. The German woman was not in labor, though, when she died. But medical experts say that things like infectious disease, eclampsia, and drug abuse are regarded as conditions that look like the first stage of labor. Mm-hmm. Likewise, uterine contractions caused by an onset of rigor mortis might be a reason the baby was expelled. However, another argument says that rigor mortis stiffens the pelvic floor and makes it harder for the fetus to be pushed out. Experts consider the German woman's case to be a pure postmortem phenomenon due to the fact that the head and upper chest of the fetus were extruded from the birth canal, indicating that the birth did not take place intravitum or during life. Yeah, medical experts are incredibly speculative about whether or not a postmortem fetal extrusion actually happens. But in the case of the German woman, there is at least one peer-reviewed medical journey that says, yes, this is a real thing. And no matter what the case, coffin births seem to never not be tragic. Mm -hmm. Though these days, it is less of a concern. And as we mentioned, a lot of doctors now are not even really familiar with this. It seems like more of an archaic Mm -hmm. term and occurrence. Right, Jess? Yeah, thankfully. Yeah, modern science, preservation methods, and, and better autopsies make it so coffin births are very rare. Still, though, we obviously have to acknowledge that this has been something throughout history that has happened and has been very tragic and often in extremely sad circumstances has happened. Mm -hmm. And these were real people with real stories who did not get to live their lives to the fullest. So, you know, poor one out for the mothers in this episode. Yeah. And and it's it is sad to hear like the particularly modern cases of it, because I do personally think of it as as something that feels dated. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It it feels like something. That happened when someone was giving birth by candlelight in the 17th century. Yeah. Not that happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad these we have moved further in the medical world that this is a a rare, rare thing now. And I I obviously feel awful for the when that happened in the early 2000s. But yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And this was a heavy episode. So thanks for bearing with us and sticking with us. This was a heavy episode for Elise and I, too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but also, was, like, whew. it is fascinating to learn about and know this is a thing, especially when we learn that it's not even that commonly known in the medical field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The part that bothered me a lot was the woman that uh, the heroin overdose, because anybody, yeah. when drugs are involved and the woman is pregnant doing drugs, that mm-hmm. just, it really, uh, it upsets me. But, um, yeah. But hey, this is 30 more of a minute and we're here for it. Gosh, you know, I think I feel I some, a lot of the time think about our seasons like peaks and valleys mm-hmm. where sometimes things get way too dark and then we have to swing around. And like <laughs> it's like, oh, we had this great episode laughing, having a great time talking about the Mandela effect. Yep. Got to balance it out talking about <laughs> coffin births. <laughs> yep. Definitely got to balance it out. Yeah. So, you know, we're on a roller coaster here at 30 more minutes. Just, you know, you never know what you're going to get. You yeah. never know. And, and sometimes, too, I feel like we'll conceive of an episode topic 
And in the moment, it doesn't seem that dark. Mm-hmm. And then we look into it more. Or we get a script from from our writer, Shannon, who tackled this episode for us. Thanks, Shannon, so Thank much. You, Shannon. And, and then we get it and we're like, oh, gosh, this. Yeah, this was, you yeah. know, because like some other episodes we're doing this season, we're doing celebrity death hoaxes, mm-hmm. which I think generally won't be that dark because I think obviously most of them are hoaxes. So they're they didn't die. True. Yep. There's one, one of my favorites coming down, uh, Herring Sex Adventures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, sounds fun, but there's probably going to be some death in there. Well, at least they died doing what they love. Hey, yeah. I hope so. I hope it was pleasurable to some degree. Yeah, we're talking about Titanic conspiracy theories, which obviously a mega tragedy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I feel like every, this this is a topic that we has been plumbed to the depths yeah. Pun, pun intended. So pun I think inten- we're yes, yes. just kind of, you know, looking into it as well. Um, I just love talking about Titanic. I love it. And I'll never stop talking about it. It is very fascinating. One one topic I'm looking forward to is just covering iron lungs, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, which might seem kind of lame. But I it's one of those things where I can't resist some some, you know, if I see a, a post online about iron lungs, I can't mm-hmm. resist it. Well, hey, we all have our little kryptonites, and sounds like an iron lung is, is the leases. <laughs> Mine is people forcibly living in a pod for their entire lives. Yeah, the only guy I know is is uh, he's lived in it for like how many years? You probably know him. Or oh yeah, I'm talking yeah, yeah. about already. But yeah, I'm like, I don't know. What does he do? I mean, I know he's laying in there, but like, is there a TV on the ceiling? Like, I, I got me a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> I got I got to play Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> like, <laughs> So I'm very curious to dive into that one for sure. Yeah. Oh, um, well. If you want more of us, though, you know, we are mm-hmm. on the social medias at 30 Morbid Minutes and then our personal accounts at Jessica Vasami and at Elise Willems and got some new merch coming out, right? Oh, yeah. And we have existing cute merch. Anytime I wear our hoodie that has the like flowers on the sleeve and the sort of Roman numeral. Uh-huh logo that stevie designed i get so many compliments hell yeah or people stop me to ask me about it i love that sweater and i'm like oh you want to know where i got it from the rooster teeth store under 30 yeah. morbid minutes store.roosterteeth.com yes. that's it <laughs> go to the go to the section under podcasts there uh-huh. we are uh-huh you'll find See it all our cute stuff yeah well jazz i got a lot of thinking to do here i have a lot of thinking to do too. i'm gonna go watch <laughs> something happy I'm gonna me go too. do something happy <laughs> Maybe Me go too. like frolic in a field. <laughs> I'll probably go read about iron lungs. <laughs> okay. All right. Have fun with that. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>